Welcome to the Life Church of Kansas City podcast. Please consider following, sharing, and supporting by giving at tlckcmo.com. May you be blessed by the Word of God. So let's look to the Word of the Lord, Acts chapter 9. Acts chapter 9, verse 20. Our theme this year is building a New Testament church. Would you say that with me? Building a New Testament church. And we want the life church to look like the church that's in the New Testament. We don't want to hijack the church. We don't want to twist the church to our own desire. But we want the church to be the church. We want the church to be the church that God envisioned when he was laying the foundation of the world. Acts 9.20, we're picking up the narrative of Saul of Tarsus' conversion and the aftershocks. Acts 9.20, immediately, this is Saul from Tarsus. After he got saved, he started preaching Christ in the synagogues that he's the son of God. Didn't take him long to get started. Then all who heard him were amazed and said, is this not he who destroyed those who called on this name, the name of Jesus in Jerusalem, and has come here for that purpose so that he might bring them bound to the chief priests? But Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who dwelt in Damascus, proving that Jesus is the Christ. It's amazing. Just a few days ago, he was persecuting the followers of Jesus. Now he's proving. What a turnaround. 23. After many days were passed, the Jews plotted to kill him. Turnabout's fair play. But their plot became known to Saul. They watched the gates day and night to kill him. Then the disciples took him by night. And this is my text and led him down through the wall in a large basket. The disciples took him by night and led him down through the wall in a large basket. Saul was a little guy. (laughs) But just work with me on this, okay? Just work with me. And my subject today, by the help of the Lord, is entitled Holding the Ropes. I feel the Lord here today. Holding the Ropes. I pray the Lord will encourage you today. What does it mean to hold the ropes in a New Testament church? Well, let me ask you a series of questions. Do you have a mission? You. Are you on mission? What is your mission? What are you trying to accomplish? What good thing are you reaching for in your life? What dreams do you still desire to see come to pass or have all your dreams either died or been fulfilled? How much attention, how much applause do you need to be inspired to sustain you, to stay on your mission? These are some questions we 
want to challenge us with today. We're given a wonderful adventure in the scripture. That is the narrative of the conversion of the great apostle Paul. We all know the wonderful accomplishments of Paul's life and ministry, but let's play what if for a moment. Turn to somebody and say, what if? What if Paul never got saved? What would the book of Acts look like today? Well, it'd probably stop at chapter 14. We may not have chapters 15 to 28 if Paul would have never become a Christian. What would the church look like without this man, Paul? Well, for starters, there would be no apostle to the Gentiles, no churches in Europe or Asia. What would the New Testament portion of the Bible look like without Paul? We'd be missing 13 of 27 books in the New Testament. Would that not be a great loss? What would our Pentecostal hermeneutic look like? Or our lens of the scripture without the theology of the brilliant Apostle Paul? And I want to ask you a question today. What would the 21st century church look like without you? What would the light church look like without you? I want to walk into somebody's life today and tell you that it would not be the same without you. I don't care how high or low profile you are. Doesn't matter to me where you live, what you drive, what your income is, what neighborhood you're in, what company you work for. That has nothing to do with what we're talking about today. We all stand equal at the foot of the cross. And we all have something that God has called us to do. And don't let the enemy minimize how important you are to the kingdom of God. And I would say that this church would not be the same without you. And the apostolic church in the world today would not be the same without you. Come on, I've come to call the devil a liar. Somebody needs to stop believing this stuff. Well, you're not making a difference. You're not doing any good. Let me tell you something. We still need people to hold on to the ropes. We <laughs> Hallelujah. We still need somebody that's not necessarily looking for accolades. Can anybody tell me the name of those disciples that were holding the ropes the night that Saul slipped through the wall? I used to preach they let him over the wall, but the Bible says through the wall. I don't know what that means. Maybe there was a sort of a, like an elevator shaft or something. I mean, I don't think they had an elevator. I mean, don't get me wrong, but, but they let him down through the wall. Listen, God is calling nameless, uncelebrated rope holders because you never know what God has put in your basket. <laughs> 
to the glory of God, as Caleb said, a shameless promotion. I would steal his phrase. I'm not promoting myself, but in 2015, when I was graduating from uh, seminary, I, I was a late bloomer. And I was in an elevator. And you know, they say, be ready for that 30 second elevator conversation. Well, I was not ready for this 30 second elevator conversation. One of my professors, who is the editor in chief of our publishing house, he looked at me sort of out of the corner of his eye and he said, I read your dissertation on making disciples. You need to write a book. The door opened, he walked out, the door closes, and I'm standing there like this 500 pound gorilla just jumped on my back. Write a book? What? So I couldn't get away from it. Had that conversation not happened, it probably would have never taken place. The book turned out to be entitled Follow to Lead. And seven years later, based on the royalty checks that have been sent to me, <laughs> it's sold about 20,000 copies. And everywhere I go, pastors talk to me about it. Members of churches talk to me about it. I would never believe it would have been translated into four languages. And it's going around the world. And I'm just a kid from St. Paul. Don't tell me that God doesn't have a mission for you. Don't tell me that your words are not powerful. Don't tell me that God can give you a message that needs to get out into this world. Come on. I'm talking to world changers. I'm preaching to people that want to make a difference in the last days. Do you want to make a difference? Do you just want to come through life and not touch anybody and help anybody and make any difference? Oh, no. That's not who we've been saved to be. We've been filled with the Spirit of God to touch this world and to make a difference. And I'm preaching the rope holders today. Come on, we're holding the ropes. Oh, wow. We need you. Turn to somebody and say, we need you. Look at Acts chapter 9, verse 1. Saul, he's breathing out threatenings and murder against the disciples. And he goes to the high priest and he gets letters from him addressed to the synagogues of Damascus so that if he found any who were of the way, everybody say the way. If he found any of the way, whether men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. So this phrase, the way, is, that would be a good name for a church. Apparently, it was the first name of the believers. The way. We don't really know how, you know, what is the etymology of the way? Perhaps the name was adopted in part from the words of Jesus who said, I am the way. Did that sound like him? <laughs> I think when we get to heaven, Jesus will have a rich baritone voice. I am the way. I think when we get there, he will say, well done. If Jesus is an Irish tenor, that's not working for me. Hey, everybody, come on in. Well done. We're glad you're here. No. No, that ain't it. It's got to be well done. 
That's what I want to hear. Hey, bottom line is, I don't care if he's a tenor, a baritone, or a bass. I want to hear well done. Praise God. I want to hear it. I want to hear it. Jesus Christ is the way. He is the only way. He is not a way. Confucius said, go this way. And Muhammad said, go that way. But Jesus said, I am the way. (laughs) Twice, Jesus said in John chapter 10, that he was the door. I'm the door. Get over it. (laughs) He said, I'm the door. There's the sheepfold and there's only one door. The sheepfold is a metaphor for the body of Christ, for the church, God's kingdom on this earth. And speaking of Jesus being the door, it's interesting when you look at this prophetic pattern of one door in the scripture. For example, there was one door in Noah's ark. One door. The ark is a type of the church situated in the Old Testament. In fact, Jesus said, as it was in the days of Noah. So there would be remarkable parallels in the days of Noah as it would be in the coming of the Son of Man. Everyone who got in the ark came through the door. Nobody crawled in the window. Nobody slipped down the chimney. Nobody came up from the underbelly of the ark. If you were in the ark, you came through just one door. And everyone who climbed up into that ark escaped the judgment and the wrath of God, if you will. Now, at the Life Church, we're a church of life. We're a church of hope. We're a church that's happy. We're a church of joy. But I'm going to tell you that this world is cascading toward judgment. And this world is on a collision course with the wrath of God. The Bible calls it the day of the Lord. And God is putting up with a lot of stuff. The Bible said that the ignorance of some people, God's winking at it. It's tongue in cheek. He's putting up with it. But one day, God's going to have it the way he wants it. Amen. He's going to have this world situated the way that he wants it. But right now, we're up against the cosmos, which is a worldly spirit, which is the spirit of Antichrist. And everything that the Bible is for, the Antichrist is against. And everything that the Bible is against, the Antichrist is for. And so this world is on a collision course with judgment. But I'm glad to tell you that in the midst of a perilous time, that there still is an ark of safety. And there is one door. And his name is Jesus Christ. And we can still find salvation. And we can escape the judgment through the door. But you got to go through Jesus. Come on. You got to go through Jesus. Let me just come against Oprah Winfrey. That was pretty creative right there. 
And the thought theology says that all paths lead to the same place and all paths lead to God. Let me tell you something. You come in a church today that is not pluralistic. You come in a church today that does not have any ambiguity when it comes to being saved. Amen. I can't have a truth and you can't have a truth. There is only one truth and that truth is Jesus Christ. And there's only one way to be saved and that is to obey his gospel. <laughs> Turn to somebody and say, there's only one. It should be noted that God gave Noah specific dimensions of the ark. Has anybody been to the ark experience south of Cincinnati? Raise your hand high. It's so cool. It's amazing. I look for a picture of uh, uh, Caleb and my wife and I. We were there a few years ago. I couldn't find it. But the ark was directed by God to Noah to be 50 cubits wide, 30 cubits high, 300 cubits long. How long is a cubit? I have no idea. <laughs> Probably about as long as your arm, I'm going to guess. But God gave Noah... No dimensions for the door. Why? Because he's in charge of the door. Noah, you build the ark. And here's how I want you to build it. But I'm going to take care of the door. I'm the doorkeeper. Amen. Everybody okay? How wide was it? Well, it was wide enough for hippos to get in. How high was it? Well, it was high enough for the giraffes to make it in. You see, my job as a 21st century pastor of a spirit-filled book of Acts apostolic New Testament church is to build. He's really, Jesus said, I will build my church. He's the builder of the church, but, but he's in, we're in cooperation with him. We're on his mission. Now, when we say church, we don't mean a building, but we have a beautiful 50,000 square foot facility on 85 acres, this beautiful campus, this location. God's blessed us. God did it all and we give him all the glory, but he's placed it into our hands to, 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 to have worship services and, and, and small groups and to have celebrate recovery where people can, we help people to come out of their hurts, habits and hangups and, and to have children's ministry and to have midweek services where families can come and bring their children and, and we're doing all these things, but can I tell you, I am not in charge of the door. I may be in charge of the staff. I may be in charge of the campus. I may be in charge of the finances working with our team of leaders, but I'm going to tell you, there's one thing I am not in charge of, and that is the door. And God said, I'm not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Hallelujah. Whosoever will may come. I'm not the doorkeeper. He's the doorkeeper. And if you can get saved and get by Jesus, then you're in the kingdom of God. He's in charge of the door. It's as wide as he wants it. It's as tall as he wants it. And it's going to stay open as long as he wants it to. You know, it's interesting. Enoch had a son named Methuselah. Everybody say Methuselah. Why is Methuselah special? Because he's the what? He's the oldest guy. Oldest man that ever lived. 900 
and 69 years. How'd you like to see his room full of birthday presents? 969. And Pastor Justin informed us. I always wondered about it. Didn't know the answer until he answered it the other night. Why, why did he not make it to a thousand? Because God told Adam and Eve, the day that you eat of the fruit, you shall surely die. And Peter tells us that a day with the Lord is as a thousand years. That's why Methuselah didn't make it. But here's the thing. Methuselah means, and Enoch, his father, was a prophet. And he walked with God and he was... He was raptured. He was teleported to heaven. He was not, for God took him. He never died. And he was a prophet. And he named his son Methuselah, which means when he is dead, it shall be sent. When Methuselah dies, it shall be sent. This, my brothers and sisters, is a commentary on the mercies of God. Think about it. The oldest man that ever lived is prophetically saying, when I die, judgment is coming. But God lets him live to be 100 and no judgment yet. And 200 and he's holding off. And 300, he's holding off. Maybe somebody will turn the corner. Maybe somebody will get it right. Maybe this wickedness will stop. Maybe Noah will find grace in the eyes of the Lord. Maybe Abraham will rise up and become the friend of God. Maybe something will happen and turn this world around. Unfortunately, it didn't happen. But here's what I want you to understand. God was long-suffering. These people that are blasting God for being judgmental, sometimes God has no choice but to wipe things out and start it all over again. And, but he waited. You talk about God holding the ropes. Methuselah gets sick. Oh, I better fix him up right now. Methuselah's got a backache. Where's Anthony Turnbull? Better give him an adjustment. Yeah, Methuselah. No, no. He's going to be the oldest man. Does that speak to anybody here today about the long suffering of God? The oldest man that ever lived, whose name means when he's dead, it shall be sent. God is saying, maybe somebody will come through the door. Maybe somebody, amen, will get in the basket. That somebody's holding the rope somewhere. I'm thankful for God's long suffering. And he's not willing that any should perish. It would be a shame. If anybody in this room today would be lost, it's time to get through the door. Turn to somebody and say, go through the door. Amen. So here we are. Saul of Tarsus is persecuting the church. He feels justified in doing it. He feels in the will of God. I'm doing God's work. Taking out these Christians. Jesus, he thinks, is a liar. He thinks Jesus is an imposter. He thinks Jesus is crazy. He's a lunatic. He's deceived. Now listen, Saul is persecuting the church. He's martyring Christians. Blood is on his hands. But he's not wicked. He's not evil. 
He's not even devil possessed. He's religious. He's religious. He's got a religious spirit. The same spirit that killed Jesus. Are you thinking? He's got a religious spirit. Listen, a religious spirit is judgmental. A religious spirit is territorial. A religious spirit is a controlling spirit. A religious spirit does not want anything to upset their theological apple cart. A religious spirit doesn't want anything to happen that they can't explain, that they can't predict. They want it all to be exactly the way they want it. A religious spirit does not want anybody to upset the center of power. I know that spirit well because I fought it for five years in a small family owned and operated church. Can we have a moment of silence right now? Saul had a religious spirit. Don't kill the sacred cows. Some people are more excited and more comfortable with old problems than they are new solutions. Church, we went to and baptize anybody in two years. The baptistry was a storage area. Where are we going to store these uh, horn cases? Oh, put them in the baptistry. We never baptize anybody. When I get there, I'm like, nah, this ain't happening. We're getting these things out of here. I clear it out. I clean it out. I fill it up. Somebody walked in the first Sunday. What's going on with the baptistry? I said, oh, we might baptize somebody today. Sorry, I ruined your storage area. And in the first three months, we baptized 16 people in the powerful name of Jesus Christ. But religious spirits, they don't want that. They want to mind the store. They want us for it no more. Their favorite song is hold the fort. And when you sing in the offering song, their favorite song is I shall not be moved. I almost got one lady to smile right there. I'm still working on her this morning. Everybody okay? Saul had a religious spirit. And I want to tell you that a religious spirit is not spiritual. It's a killing spirit. It's not the spirit of Christ. It's not the spirit of Jesus Christ. Because Saul had a religious spirit. He hated Jesus. He hated Jesus. He had his own Jesus. He had another Jesus. He had another mission. But when he met the real Jesus on the road to Damascus, suddenly it changed his mind about who Jesus is. And when you get an encounter with the Spirit of God and you meet the real Jesus Christ, you'll get delivered from a religious spirit. You'll get delivered from a territorial spirit. You'll get delivered, amen, from a spirit that wants to control and lock everything down. I say in the 21st century, we want whatever's in the basket to come out of the basket. We want whatever revelation God has for us. We've got to hold on to that rope. If it upsets our apple cart, we've got to release it. Even the apostles didn't know what to do with Paul. They didn't know what to do with him. One minute he's persecuting the church and the next minute he's in the synagogues preaching Jesus. And if you don't think he's brilliant, 
You know, Peter and John were, Jeff Arnold said, unlearned and ignorant. That means stupid and powerful. <laughs> and Paul sat at the feet of Gamaliel. And Paul is educated, the most educated and brilliant Christian of the first century. The apostles weren't sure how to handle him. I'm off my sermon now, but let me just say it. Thank God for Barnabas. In fact, oh, I'm just, I don't even know where I am right now. It takes a team to make a Saul of Tarsus become an apostle Paul. I say, God, raise up apostle Pauls. Raise up theologians. Raise up brilliant minds. Raise up men who have what the Bible calls the works of an apostle. Miracles, wonders, signs. We need apostles in the 21st century. We need brilliant thinkers. Hallelujah. We need him in our basket. And the apostles didn't know what to do with him. But Barnabas said, he doesn't intimidate me because I see gifts in this man. I see an anointing in this man. I see abilities in this man. He may plant more churches than me. He may preach in more conferences than me. He may be more celebrated than me. But I got to help Paul become Paul. Oh, oh. You know, the, the Bible said that Barnabas' nickname was a son of consolation. Everybody say a son of consolation. That means when he came around, I was like, ah, oh, man, that, that guy's a breath of fresh air. You know anybody like that? Just look straight ahead. <laughs> Do you have anybody in your life when you see him coming? You just want to, when you see him coming, you hear this loud sucking sound like, you're in a three minute conversation and you're exhausted. I'm, I'm having therapy right now. But here comes Barnabas. It's like, breathe in the air of Barnabas. He's a son of consolation. He's a joy. He adds value. He brings a blessing. Come on, we need Barnabas who doesn't have a religious spirit. He doesn't have a territorial spirit. He's celebrating somebody who's got gifts that he doesn't have. He's celebrating some, some, somebody that's going to do more and be more. But Paul can't be Paul until Barnabas goes to Tarsus and he tracks him down. The Bible said he went and found him. It didn't work in Jerusalem. So he said, I'm going to try another church. I'm going to go up to Antioch because I already, the Bible said he saw the grace of God. I would to God that the life church would be a church that had so much grace in it that people could see it when they walked in. They could feel it when they came in this place. Amen. Not a cemetery. Amen. But an empty tomb. Hallelujah. Where there's life and joy and peace and long suffering. Hallelujah. It takes a team to disciple a Saul. God's first 
he knocks them down on the road to Damascus. Boom! If God wants you, he's going to get you. <laughs> if he's coming after you, forget Elliot Ness and the FBI. <laughs> he's coming after you. It's dangerous when I get off notes, David. He's coming after you if he wants you. Listen, if he wants Jonah, he's going to get him. Come on. If he wants Jonah, he's going to get him. It doesn't matter what it takes. If he has to send a whale and give that whale an acid stomach reflux from a swallowing a bitter old wicked backslid preacher that didn't even want his city to get saved. If God wants you, he's going to get you. God's coming after somebody today. It's time for your turnaround. Come on. Let me tell you something. You can pray. You can pray today and make up your mind. Make it your decision. I'm going to pray. I'm going to touch God. Because if you don't, God can build you a prayer room. He can build you a prayer room. If you don't believe it, just ask Jonah. He built him a prayer room. And finally, when he cried out to God after three days and three nights, amen, he was delivered. And I want somebody today, don't make God build you a prayer room. Don't wait until you get in trouble. Don't wait until you're almost out of reach. But build yourself a prayer room today. Today is the day of salvation. Oh, somebody clap your hands to the Lord. So God, God's after him. He blinds him, knocks him down. Here's the great Saul of Tarsus. He's got papers. Where's some papers? He's got papers. He's breathing out threatenings and slaughter. He's going to wipe out. Man, when I get to Damascus, when I get to Damascus, I'm going to let them Christians have it. I'm going to hit a boom right between the eyes. I'm taking them out. And next thing he knows... Come here, Caden. Just, just lead me. I'm, I'm blind. It's like God can humble you. God can knock you down to size. Take me, take me to the street called Straight. Take me there. Take me into Damascus. And he takes him in there. Thank you, Caden. And he's waiting three days. A three-day fast to do you good. It'd do you real good if you don't have direction for your life. If you're dealing with a mess, if you're confused, you talk about confused. Here's the thing. When, listen, when God knocked Saul down, would anybody debate me that it was God that knocked him down? Was it God? Come on. Can I get a good Baptist nod this morning? Was it God? Okay. It was God that knocked him down. Sorry, brother Nix. I crumpled up your paper there from the morning. Sorry. Oh. Okay. It was God that knocked him down. Now listen. Saul is a fierce defender of monotheism. He's not, he doesn't believe that God is a plurality. He, knows, has, no, he has no knowledge of that. None of the writers of the Bible do. Come on. Cameron, you know, they've been drilling this down on you, Urson. 
He has no knowledge. None of the Bible writers. The plurality in the Godhead is an after Bible invention. Adopted from Greek philosophy. One author said that Tertullian, one of the early apologists, was a philosopher in Christian garb. He's the one that invented the word, the Trinity. Listen, the Life Church believes in the Father, and we believe in the Son, and we believe in the Holy Spirit. We do not deny, amen, that those three aspects are manifestations of God, but they are not manifestations of persons of God. They are manifestations of the one true and living God. And let the Bible prove it to you right now. Listen to the Bible. Listen. Listen to the Bible. Saul is, he's, he's, he's. A fierce defender of the monotheistic God, that God is one. He believes Shema, Deuteronomy 6.4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God. The Lord is one. And now he gets knocked down and he hears a voice. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting us? Why are you persecuting me? Saul says, he's brilliant. He's a scholar. He's a theologian. He uses a word that can only belong to God who is one. Who are you, Lord? Capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. My professor said that's pronounced kudios in the Greek. It can only mean one deity. It can't mean a plurality. It can only mean one. And so when this monotheistic Jew who believes in Yahweh, Jehovah of the Old Testament, says, who are you, Lord? No wonder he's trembling because he's about ready to lose his job. He's about ready to cut off his water. He's about ready to not get any more checks from the Sanhedrin and the Pharisee HR. Who are you, Lord? And the Lord, the one God, the Jehovah of the Old Testament, says, I am Jesus. Come on, are you glad you know who that one God is? Are you glad that you know that Jesus is the Jehovah of the Old Testament? Are you glad that you know he is the Father, he is the Son, he is the Holy Ghost, he is the Savior? No wonder this Jew is trembling, he's trembling, he's trembling. He would have never believed, you may be seen, he would have never believed that he would never embrace that God was a plurality. That would be idolatry. What more do we need? I feel like a Philadelphia lawyer today. And the Lord says, I am Jesus. It takes a team to make an apostle. God talks to Ananias. The Bible just calls him a certain disciple. 
Did you all see me look at the clock right there? A certain disciple. It's good to see you, Brother Tinsley. We love you. A certain disciple, Ananias. God can't send an ignoramus. Sorry. That was the nearly inspired version right there. God can't send a, a novice to a man like Saul of Tarsus, right? <laughs> he can't send somebody with a low EQ. Who's going to walk in there and say, well, my God, you know, you put my uncle in jail last month. I just beat the living daylights out of you right now while I got you where I want you. The filter is off. Listen. You could be the answer to somebody's prayers today. God said, Ananias, he's praying. I want to be the answer to somebody's prayer. I really do. There's a few people. I want them to be the answer to my prayer. I want them to be saved. I want them to make it. I want them to come through the door and I pray for them. And... Ananias has been praying. And God tells Saul that Ananias is coming. And God tells Ananias where to find Saul. And when... Mark, just go sit on the... Mark, go sit right there. And Ananias comes in. And he sees Saul. And he's blinded. And he's been fasting. And he's weakened. He comes in. And the Bible says he lays hands on him because God told him exactly what to do. He said, you're going to have a miracle. The scales are going to fall off his eyes and you're going to have a miracle, Ananias. And then you're going to baptize him in my name. And then you're going to pray him through to the baptism of the Holy Ghost. That's in your Bible in Acts chapter nine. And then he said, give him some food. So we know he's Pentecostal. (laughs) Well, I added that. And then Ananias introduces him to the church. And when he walks in, he lays hands on him and he calls him. Does he say, you low down, no good rat? He call, he's not even a brother yet. Come on. He's not even baptized yet. But he's speaking prophetically. I'm prophesying over this beast. That has been tormenting and making havoc of the church. And Ananias realized that God trusted him. Who's in your basket? Don't you let go of those ropes. Don't you stop praying. Don't you stop being the answer to somebody's prayer. I feel the Holy Ghost here right now. Come on, don't stop praying for your kids. Don't stop praying for your grandchildren. Don't stop praying for your worst enemy. Let me tell you something. God can take your worst enemy like a Saul of Tarsus and he can give him a turnaround. He can answer your prayers. Who do you have in your basket? He calls him brother Saul. 
You talk about a moment. Thank you, Mark. And now, Saul's preaching in the synagogues and religious people want to kill him. He deserved it. In fact, Jesus told Ananias, you tell him the things he's going to suffer. He was whipping up on me, and I'm going to whip up on him. Paul suffered a lot for the gospel. Come here, Caleb. So, jump up here. Grab that rope. Saul's in a house. The house is on the wall. There's somebody knocking at the door. We want Saul of Tarsus! Saul. Sorry, Les, you won't fit in here. But you'd be a good one. Come on, Saul, get in here. We don't know what else to do. Get in the basket. There he is. Let's let him down over the wall. Let him down. Hang on. Hang on. Don't let him slip. Hang on. Get him down there. That's it. That's it. Okay. Get him. Let him down. Oh, okay. I think. I think he's there. It's dark. I can't really see. Oh, I think he's waving. I think. Oh. Okay. He made it. And with the wave of the hand. Thanks, Kevin. Saul is out into the night. These disciples are not named. They're anonymously mentioned. Someday when we get to heaven, maybe we'll find out who they are. Brother Nathan, they didn't even know who was in their basket. They have no idea that he's going to write over half of the New Testament. But we got to hold on to that rope because you never know what he could be. You know, he did sit at the feet of Gamaliel. You know, he is pretty brilliant. And you know, he's already had miracles and he's been fiercely defending the gospel. You never know who God's going to put in your basket. They had no idea he was going to go to Asia and start churches and go to Europe and start churches. They had no idea that he would ascend into the third heaven and heard unspeakable words that could not be uttered. They had no idea he was going to spend a day and a night in the deep and suffer three shipwrecks. They had no idea he would have 195 scars on his back from the beatings of the Jews and the Romans and everybody else. They had no idea that he would suffer perils of false brethren and of his own countrymen. And they had no idea that he would write. I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. He was in their basket. Henceforth, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day, but not to me only, but to all who love is appearing. They had no idea that he would write none of these things move me. Neither count I my life dear unto myself that I might finish my course with joy and the ministry which I have received of the Lord Jesus Christ that I might testify of the gospel of the grace of God. They had no idea he would write for I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor powers nor things present nor things to come nor height nor death nor any other creature shall be able to separate me from the 
love of God which is in Christ Jesus. Have you ever been blessed by the writings of a man that was in his basket? Have you ever been blessed by a man? Have his words ever inspired you and encouraged you? I'm telling you today, God has placed something in your basket that the world has never seen. And we need what God has put in your basket. Let's stand. Let's stand. We're holding the ropes. We're holding the ropes. <laughs> Let's lift our hands again and open our mouths and just let the Lord. Come on. God's calling you today. Come on, are you on the mission? Are you on the mission? Come on, what's in your basket? If you got a basket, get something in it. Well, if you got a basket, there is something in it. It could be a child, it could be a grandchild. <laughs> There's an old time preacher named Buck Treadway. Just keep coming, that's fine. Come on. An old preacher named Buck, Buck Treadway. When he was a teenager, his father was a pastor. He said when he was about 15 years old, a woman in their church came and knocked at the door. He said, we had a little small house and the walls were paper thin and my dad told me to go get in my bedroom and the lady came in. She said, pastor, I'm about ready to quit. In fact, I have come to tell you, I'm turning in my Sunday school teacher's manual. I'm quitting my Sunday school. I'll, I'll never be back to church. Why are you quitting, hon? Well, I got two teenage daughters and my husband just fights me. He's not a believer. He doesn't want to have anything to do with church. I get up every Sunday. I come here. I get no support. I get no help. He tears everything down that I believe in, everything that I love. I've just had it. I've been at it for 11 years and there's no movement and I can't seem to make any headway with him and I'm just discouraged and I'm ready to quit. She gave him the Sunday school teacher's book. He said, well, ma'am, would you just teach one more Sunday? And he put it back in her hands. She said, okay, pastor. I'll teach one more Sunday. That Sunday morning, she got up. Her husband said, where's my white shirt? She said, what do you want that for? He said, where's my necktie? She said, what do you want that for? He said, where's my street shoes? She said, what do you want those for? He said, I'm coming to church with you today. She held on to the ropes for just a few more days. What if she'd have quit? What if she'd have said, I'm not going back to that lousy church anymore. What's God done for me? Listen, it's not time for anybody to quit today.
He came to church that Sunday and was baptized. And the next Sunday was filled with the baptism of the Holy Ghost. And they, the, that mom and dad raised their two daughters together to become overcoming Christians. I'm telling you, it is no time to quit. It's no time to let go of the ropes. Somebody that's ready to give up, don't give up because we need you. We need you. Come on, if you got a basket, I want you to get up here. If you got a basket, I want you, if you got a hope, if you got a dream, if you got something you're praying about, if you got a son or a grandson or a daughter or a granddaughter, you got somebody you want to be, you want to see God do something with them. Come on up here. I pray that God would give us a spirit of encouragement. And God would give us a spirit of strength. Come on. We got some people that are in our baskets that are here right now this morning. Come on, reach your hand over and put your hand on somebody's shoulder. The spirit of encouragement is here today. The spirit of edification is here today. The spirit of overcoming is here today. Come on. Come on, somebody let your voice out. Make a move for God. Make a move for God. We don't need you to quit. Please don't quit. Come on, somebody cry out to the Lord. Don't quit. Hold on. <laughs> hold on, hold on, hold on. Hold on to the grace of God. Hold on to the mercies of God. Come on, we got people that are in battles. We got people that are in battles. Come Thank on. you for listening to this message. For more content, follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube at the Life Church KC. Reference the episode notes for more details.